Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship team. Man, I love that uh, song, I Speak Jesus. I, um, uh, my first church I pastored, somebody, um, uh, this really happened, somebody brought their kids to church one day, it was during an off day, it was like during a weekday, and uh, we were there, but their, their little like four-year-old girl, they just turned her loose in the church and she just went running through the whole church, through the whole church, and was gone for a while, and she came back and we were there talking, and she came back and she said, Mommy... I have looked all over the church, and I can't find Jesus anywhere. And I'm afraid there's a lot of churches you can go to, and you can't find Jesus anywhere nowadays, and I'm proud to sing about the name of Jesus. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, if you're joining us at Rossville Online, thank you so much for uh, tuning in and being part of the service today. We're thrilled, thrilled that you're, whatever campus you're at, Rock Spring Online or Rossville, thank you for joining us today. Hey, take your Bibles and turn to the book of the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. And look, the easiest way for you to find it is just look in the index in the front of your Bible and turn there. And the verse is going to be on the screen. Actually, I'm not going to read any specific verses from the Song of Solomon. I'm not going to ask you to stand today because I'm going to preach the entire book of the Song of Solomon. Not really, but kind of. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to put the verses we need up on the screen I just want you to know where the Song of Solomon is in the Old Testament, so find your place there. As I finish up my series, The Winning Family, Making It From Start to Finish. So we looked at how to get off to a good start. We looked at how to make it through the middle, right? How to get through that middle phrase. A phase. And today I want to do this. I want to talk about the winning marriage. Now, all throughout this sermon, uh, this sermon series, I've really tried to speak to Married and unmarried and adults and teenagers. I'm doing that again today as well. But I'm going to speak specifically about marriage today out of the Song of Solomon. So I want you to follow along with me, take some notes, and uh, let's look in the Word of God together. Now, you know as well as I do, the post office may be slow at times, but sometimes the post office is really, really slow. December 9th last year, 2021, Angelina Gonzalez received an unexpected delivery from the post office. It was a letter her late husband wrote to his mother while he was deployed overseas in the army in 1945. Let me say that again, 1945. It was written by Sergeant John Gonzalez, a 22-year-old Army soldier stationed in Germany, and he was riding to check in on his family and let his mom know he'd be coming home soon. And sure enough, the post office delivered it 76 years and three days later. It was a two-page letter that somehow, somewhere, some way got lost in the Pittsburgh post office. And an employee found it, realized how old it was and how important of a letter it could be. And so they dug up his next of kin. The post office really did a good job. Find out who the next of kin 
was, and they found his wife. Get this, he had not met his wife in 1945. John passed away in 2015. He was 92 years old, and he and Angelina weren't married until 1953. Her son said it felt like he came back home to us for the holiday season. What a, what a great story. 76 years and three days later. Here's a photo of Sergeant John's letter. I read that story. I love stories like that. And I read that story and I pondered it for a few moments and I had this thought. I wish I could send a letter back in time. I wish I could sit down and pin a letter to 16-year-old Joel. Wouldn't you love to do that? I wish I could sit down and write a letter to 20-year-old Joel. What if I could sit down and write a letter to the right before I got married, Joel, right before I walked down the aisle, Joel, day of wedding, Joel? What kind of advice would I give 20-year-old PJ? How many mistakes? How many mistakes could I save myself from if I could just have written myself a two-page letter? How could I make 20-year-old Joel's life better, his marriage better, his family better? If I could have just penned that letter, how much better might I could have been? And so here's the truth. I pondered it for a while, and I realized I can't write a letter back in time. And furthermore, I realize I don't have to. Because God has already written us a letter that applies to every part of our lives. God has written a letter to us in marriage and to our family. The Song of Solomon is a letter, a biography between two lovers. The relationship in Song of Solomon follows a path similar to what we all face. For example, here is how the entire book of Song of Solomon unfolds. First of all, you have a couple that fall in love with one another. You remember that stage right there in the very beginning. You see each other for the first time. You fall in love and you begin a courtship and you begin a dating life and you just can't get enough of each other. Well, after you fall in love for a little while, then comes couple is engaged. And that's exactly what happens in the Song of Solomon. They are in love. They are in courtship. They are dating. And one day he pops the question and asks her to marry him. And then thirdly, the couple gets married. Now, that's pretty much your story. That's my story. That's all God's children who've been married stories. We fall in love. We get engaged. We get married. And then comes the honeymoon stage. Not the honeymoon, but the honeymoon stage. You know what the honeymoon stage is. It's right after you get married when you still can do no wrong. It's right after you get married when you you see the little idiosyncrasies and you see the little mistakes and you catch a little bit of the tone but you're still willing to overlook it in the honeymoon stage and for some people that lasts years for some people it lasts months for some people it lasts minutes you never know how long it's going to last the honeymoon stage song of solomon follows this exact format and then there is the falling out stage It happens in the Song of Solomon. We're going to look at it in a moment. That there's this falling out stage where, you know what? 
I'm in love, I'm engaged, I'm married, I'm in a honeymoon, they still can do no wrong. All right, I'm fed up with all the wrong they can actually do. I'm tired of it. But then if things progress well, what follows in the Song of Solomon is the makeup stage. And that's a, a a fantastic stage. And finally, there is a glorious finish stage. What, what, what we just see, this is the outline of the Song of Solomon. This is what happens in the book, the Song of Solomon. The fall in love, engaged, married, honeymoon stage, falling out, making up, and a glorious finish. That is the track that most of our relationships will uh, fall into, except sometimes we get stuck right here in this falling out stage. Sometimes we get stuck and we don't ever get to the makeup stage and we don't get to the glorious finish stage. But we know that the Song of Solomon got to the glorious finish stage. We see it in the end of the book. In the end of the book, Song of Solomon, it says this, Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. For, listen, listen to how they taught each other. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as unrelenting as the grave. Love's flames are fiery flames, an almighty flame. A huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Uh, rivers cannot sweep it away. That's the love that the two lovers had at the end of their life. They had a love that was a fiery flame. They had a love that was an almighty flame. They had a love that that a huge river could not extinguish, that rivers could not sweep it away. They ended their life more in love than they were at the beginning of their lives. That's a winning marriage. That's the kind of love you want to close out with, right? If you're married, that's the kind of love that you want in the end. You don't want a cold, lifeless, flameless, loveless, brother-sister relationship kind of marriage. Well, how did they get there? That's a winning marriage. They closed out the book in style. How do we get there? How do we start off hot, make it through the middle, and finish with a flurry. Well, I'm going to preach the whole book of Song of Solomon just now. But let me tell you four things that are necessary for a winning marriage. Number one, you have to stay in conversation. Stay in conversation. When you look at the Song of Solomon, it has a lot of conversation in it, in the Song of Solomon. We find out these two are always communicating and it pays off in a vibrant marriage look at how they talk to one another I was sleeping but my heart was awake a sound my love was knocking open to me my sister my darling my dove and my perfect one song of Solomon chapter five that that they were always talking to one another the late Adrian Rogers said there were four ways that these Two spoke to one another in the Song of Solomon. Let me give you what he said because it's so good as you look through the book. Number one, he says this, there were plentiful words between the two lovers. Plentiful words. Did you know that 60% of the verses in the book are words that are spoken between two lovers? 60%. The 60% of the Song of Solomon are the two lovers speaking to one another. Each gives words freely. Each gives words without embarrassment. I want to tell you, if you want your marriage to be a marriage that finishes with a flurry and finishes as a winning marriage, you've got to learn to talk to one another. It seems that men especially have an ability to talk while dating, but when they get married, it slows down tremendously. 
You know why, ladies, don't you? He's, he's captured you. He was in hunting mode before you got married. And now he's in, he's caught you. He's no longer hunting. And he finds himself at a loss for words. But if you want a terrific marriage, you have to talk. You have to talk about the important. You have to talk about the mundane. And so men, hear me. Let your words be plentiful. Women, learn to talk about what you're a man. I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush because I know it's normally the man that uh, has a hard time talking. But men, you've got to let your words be plentiful. Ladies, you may have to find something to talk about that will get your man talking. I, I said this to our marriage class on Wednesday night. My wife, uh, every now and then, will roll into my study. I'm in my study at home by, by 6 o'clock at the latest. I'm, I'm dressed up with a cup of coffee in my study at the latest by 6 o'clock. Uh, normally get up 5 or 5.30 uh, in the mornings. And so I roll in there and do my quiet time, and she does hers in another part of the house. And so uh, she, she come rolling in after quiet time the other morning, and she said to me, she said, uh, hey, what about that big pop making the Hall of Fame? And I said, and she said, what's going on with Bonds and Clemens not getting elected into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, I knew number one, she had no idea who Big Poppy was. She didn't even get his name right. She called him Big Pop. (laughs) Number two, she wasn't real sure who Bonds and Clemens were, but she had heard those names before. And so she had no idea, no idea why Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame and why Roger Clemens is not in the Hall of Fame. You know what she had done? She'd watched the news, seen the article, and thought she'd come make conversation with me on a subject that I like talking about. It worked. It worked. I said, well, you know, Sherry, Big Poppy, he might have done steroids too because he wasn't really Big Poppy when he was in Minnesota. And he came over to Boston. All of a sudden, he blew up, started hitting home runs left and right. And he's a 220 hitter until he gets over to, you know, Boston. And now he's a 280, 300 hitter, and he's hitting 40 home runs a year. And I know Bonds, you know, he was on steroids, but so was every pitcher that was pitching to him back in the day. So I really don't know. I think Hank Aaron, and and I'm I'm just waxing on, and her eyes just glazed over. And I knew she wanted to talk, but not really. You know, like she wanted to talk, but not, not really. She, she stepped in it. But, but she, she found a subject I like to talk about, and she learned just enough about it to talk about it a little bit. And she knows if getting me talking is usually not a hard thing to do, but she wants to talk about what I want to talk about. So men, let your words be, be plentiful lady ladies you may have to find something he enjoys to let your words be plentiful for you to talk together talk about the important things please talk about the important things in your marriage talk about the mundane things when your wife says to you how was your day or your husband says to you how was your day don't say fine Say, well, I went in this morning at 8 o'clock. I saw George on the way in. George was there, and uh, he had a rough night. And just start telling them, hey, they'll eventually tell you to hush if you give enough detail. But I'd rather that happen than two people in the same house not communicating. Number one, there should be plentiful words. Number two, Adrian Rogers said that in the Song of Solomon there were personal words. Did you notice in the verses we read that they had pet names for each other? He calls her, she calls him my beloved. He calls her my darling, my love, my perfect one, just in that one verse. Personal words are a way to communicate how special your spouse is. You're not going to believe this. Let me give you a little bit of a marriage advice. You're not going to believe this. 
old man and old lady won't get the job done. Listen, I know some of you do it, and I have to stop myself from doing it too. I have to stop myself. I know some of you do it. I've heard you do it. There's nothing wrong with it, but let me just, let me just let's take it a step further. Can I, just, can I get on to me and you both because I do it? Don't, don't, don't necessarily call her mama and don't call him daddy. Like that, I do it sometimes. I'll say, I'll say, well, mama, you ought to do this. And really, I don't, I don't want her. I don't, I don't want the vision of my wife as mama. I want it, you know, hot stuff. That's what I want to call her. Sweet things, you know. That's that's what I want. Have personal words, affectionate nicknames that are reserved for one another. Number three, have positive words. Did you know that these two lovers speak to each other in glowing terms? Get this, in the entire book of Song of Solomon, 60% of it is conversation. And get this, there isn't one word of criticism, there isn't one word of complaint, there isn't one word of correction in the entire book. Two lovers, two married people speaking to one another, and there's not one word of criticism, not one complaint, not one correction in the entire book. Here's what that tells me. Let your words be positive. Praise your spouse with your words. Love on your spouse with your words. Keep it positive. And then number four, they ought to be passionate words. Passionate words. Hey, can I tell you this? The conversation in Solomon, Song of Solomon, is enough to make a grown man blush if you read it. And do you know, I've seen couples talk more positive and more passionate to their dog than they do their spouse. You say, preacher, my dog loves me more. You know how you can tell, you know what somebody said, how you can tell, you, you, you know how you can tell who loves you more? Lock your dog and your spouse in the trunk of the car for an hour, and when you open the trunk, see which one's glad to see you at the end of it. <laughs> Actually, don't do that. That was just a joke. Don't do that. Y'all have passionate words. Their love was on full display. They use words that should only be shared in the marriage context. If you're married, speak to your spouse with passion. Talk to them like you were writing a Harlequin romance novel on the risque side just a little bit. And hear me, talking can make your marriage last. Ron Rogue did a study um, of couples talking with Tom Bradbury at the Relationship Institute of the University of California. They gathered data, get this, for seven years. And this blows my mind. Found that couples who watch movies together, hear me, watch movies together, not Bible, didn't read their Bible, didn't go to Christian movies, they just watched movies together. Couples that watched movies together and then talked about what they saw. Over seven years they studied it. Couples who watched movies together and talked about what they saw, get this, we're 50% less likely to divorce. 
They watched movies together and talked about the movies, and they were 50% less likely to divorce. Why? Because talking creates intimacy in your marriage. Talk about anything and everything will build a stronger marriage. And we know Proverbs says this, right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Well, we, we, we translate that, and we should as well, that uh, uh, life is in the positive of your tongue and death is in the negative of the tongue but maybe we ought to take a step back and say this if we just talk there's life in the tongue maybe the death in a marriage is from not talking maybe the life in the marriage is from talking so maybe if you want a winning marriage stay in conversation you can buy books on what to talk about with your spouse you can get note cards. You can date things. There are things sometimes that happen during the day. I'll make a note or set a reminder on my phone and say, talk to Sherry about this tonight. And I want to save it because I want it to be a fun conversation, a real conversation. And I'll say, hey, tell her about so-and-so or tell her about this or tell her about this situation or ask her opinion on this. I do that all the time. Why? Because I want to stay in conversation with her because conversation makes a winning marriage. Number two, stay in forgiveness. We learn from the Song of Solomon. Stay in forgiveness. Now, I'm going to set the context up, but Solomon chapter 6, verse 3 said, I am my love's and my love is mine. Why why that verse? Because in chapter 5, the bride was insensitive and caused marital stress and anxiety in the marriage. In reality, in chapter 5, it was simply a misunderstanding. But she realizes that she has hurt her husband. And when she goes to make up with her husband, it was the perfect act of forgiveness. That's where we get Song of Solomon chapter 6 verse 3. He says, I am my love's and my love is mine. Look, there was no bitterness. There was no arguing. There was no complaint. There was no revenge. There was no shame. All he did when she went to him in forgiveness was he stated his love for her over and over and over. Hear me. If you're going to have a marriage that lasts, you've got to learn how to forgive well. You've got to learn to dwell in the land of forgiveness. What does that mean, preacher? That means that you've got to learn to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness when you've done wrong. That means you've got to learn to humble yourself, hear this, and grant forgiveness when the other's done wrong. The lack of either one of those is pride. We don't ask for forgiveness because of pride. We don't grant forgiveness because of pride. And if you don't learn to live in the land of forgiveness, you will constantly be fighting over minutia, and you'll never get over the smallest things. And when you don't learn how to forgive, you are dooming your marriage to death. If you don't stay in forgiveness. I read this over a year ago and I, I saved it for just such a moment as this. That in medieval Germany, hang with me, look this way. Medieval Germany, a ritual developed before divorce was invented. It was called a marital duel. And when couples could not, hear, hear every word I'm saying, when couples could not settle their disagreements or grant for forgiveness. When couples could not settle their disagreements or grant forgiveness, a duel would occur. 
they would be given one to two months to work things out. And if they couldn't work things out, the duel happened with some bizarre restrictions. The husband was placed inside a hole with one hand tied behind his back. It was a three-foot hole. He was, this is not an accurate depiction of it really. It's a little bit bigger than that maybe. But it was a three-foot hole. One hand was tied behind his back, and he was given a wooden club. The wife was free to roam around, and she was given a sack filled with rocks. And the sack worked as a sling, a club, or a choking device. And somebody would say, ready, set, go. And the duel commenced. If the man, by the way, the man had three clubs available to him. He was allowed a maximum of three clubs. Because if any part of his body touched the side of the hole, he had to forfeit a club until he got down to no clubs. And they literally, literally, I saw a modern-day couple reenact it in a little bit safer way, but they would literally club each other until one was declared the winner. Now, it's a little unsure of how you would declare the winner because most often it was thought they swung until death occurred. However, if death did not occur, then one of them was still put to death. If the woman was declared the winner, the man was taken to the town square and executed with um, uh, honor, they called it. If the woman lost, this is not a joke, if the woman lost, they dumped her in the hole and buried her alive. So either way, somebody ain't going home. Now, I told you to hang on every word I said. Does anybody remember how long I said they were given to work things out? Two months. Two months. I don't know about you, but if one of us is going to be clubbed to death or buried alive, I could fake it in two months. Couldn't you? I could fake forgiveness two months. Because I'd, I'd be afraid, I'll be honest, my wife's a sweet little meek thing. I mean, I, mean I, I weigh twice what she does. But with one hand tied behind her, her back and a, and a sack of rocks on a bad day, I might lose. Two months. Two months. If your options were being clubbed to death, executed, or buried alive, couldn't you come up with a tiny bit of forgiveness in your heart? Stay in forgiveness. Stay in forgiveness. You may not get clubbed to death, but you may kill your family if you don't learn to forgive and to work things out. Let, let me give you some points on this. Write them down if you're taking notes. Number one, don't be easily offended. Right? Just don't have your feelings on your shoulders and be easily offended at everything that comes along. Your, your, your husband's tone is not always a reason to get offended. Your wife's tone is not always, give, give everybody space to have a bad day. Get everybody space to have a bad minute, all right? Number two, don't, don't hold a grudge. 
I know it. Just work it out. Don't hold a grudge. Don't go quiet. Hold a grudge. And that leads me to this. Don't, don't, don't give in to bitterness and, and a hard heart because you'll, you'll, you'll give in to bitterness and you'll get a hard heart and then you don't want to work things out and then things are going downhill. Then number four, do this. Don't withhold forgiveness. If somebody's asking, forgive. And then number five, don't be proud. Ask for forgiveness. That's how you stay in forgiveness. And if you don't learn to stay in forgiveness, I'm telling you, your marriage is not going to make it. If it makes it, it'll be a terrible marriage. Stay in forgiveness. Let me give you a third thing we learned from the Song of Solomon. Number, number, number one, stay in communication. Number two, stay in forgiveness. Number three, stay in church. You say, wait, 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 wait. That's not the Song of Solomon. I think it is. Let me show you this. Most theologians believe that the Song of Solomon has layered meaning. Layered meaning. What do you mean? Well, here's what we learned from the Song of Solomon. That it was a picture of the husband-wife relationship, right? We get that. That's the most obvious example. But we also believe that it's a picture of the Jehovah-Israel relationship, the Old Testament relationship between God and the chosen, chosen people. And then number three, uh, we believe it's a picture of the Christ-Church relationship as well. So you have this very simple meaning of a husband-wife love story, but it's also a picture of Jehovah and Israel, and it's also a picture of Christ and the church. There's a reason that the premier book on wedded love is also a book about Christ's love for the church and our love for him. It's no accident that that is so. Christ and the church ought to be a central part of your marriage. Lifeway Research tells us this. That couples who live together before getting married have a lower chance of having a long-term marriage than those who don't live together. A woman who did not cohabit has a 57% probability her marriage will last at least two decades. It drops to 46% if you live together before marriage. Here's what they're saying. If you live together before marriage, why are you saying that? Because when you're in church doing things the way God wants them done, chances are your marriage is going to last or at least last longer when it does. If you're here today, you're watching online, and you're living together and not married, hear me, that is not God's design. You should separate or get married because the odds are against you the other way. But not only that, we learn this. 60% of evangelicals who never attend church have been divorced, but you compare that to 38% of evangelicals who attend church every week have been divorced. The more you're in church, the less likely you're to be divorced. Couples who attend church regularly report higher levels of happiness than those who don't attend church. Couples, couples, higher level. And then a study by Harvard University says that couples who attend religious services are 47% less likely to divorce than other couples. Here's all I'm trying to paint the picture of. That church ought to be a central part of your marriage. That is, attend worship together. Attend church together. Serve the Lord together. Pray together. Read your Bible together. What, what is that? What is that, Hunger Games? The odds are ever in your favor if you'll go to church. The odds are in your favor. Number four, I got to move rapidly. Number four, here's what we learned from the Song of Solomon. Stay in love. Stay in love. Run away with me, my love, as he's closing out the book. You may want to jot these down. They're good knowledge to have. When you talk about love in the Bible, there are four words for love in the Bible. First of all is the word, Greek word, storge, love. It is familia affection, family affection. It's mentioned in the book of Romans. It, it, is, it is love that you have for your children, for your parents, for a brother, for a sister. 
It is that family bond together. And so, so if you want to stay in love with your spouse, then it, can I give you some good advice? Love the whole family well. Husbands, you want, you, you want to win your wife over to your side. Love the kids well. Lo- love the in-laws well. You say, preach, you don't have my in-laws. I get it. Let them talk bad about them. Let you pray for them. You just love the in-laws to the best of your ability. If, you're, if, you're, if your family, if your spouse vents about their family, let them. You don't say a word because you can't. They can't. Just love the family. Love the family you're in. Love the extended family. Love the family. That's the Greek word storge. And you ought to love one another's family when you get married. Number two, there's the Greek word phileo, which is where we get our word Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia. And it means brotherly love or affection or friendship. You want your marriage to last. It needs to be a marriage between two people who like one another. Friends. Best friends. You should want to be with your spouse. You should be one another's best friend. I'll be honest, you shouldn't have a friend you're closer to than your husband. You shouldn't have a friend you're closer to than your wife. You shouldn't have a, somebody that you can speak more intimately to than you do your spouse. You ought to be in love with your family. You ought to be in love together as friends. And the number three is the word agapeo or agape we call it this is sacrificial love this is love of the wheel this is God's love for us can I tell you this is the only kind of love that will carry you to the end hear me look this way this is the kind of love that only comes from God you don't I can I can create storge myself i can create phileo myself i can love my family and love my friends but agape love comes as the spirit of god is deposited in my heart at salvation and it is god that loves through me it's a spiritual love that comes from god it is born of the spirit it is born of god and you don't have the power to agape love your spouse apart from the spirit of god it's the love that puts their needs above your needs it's the love that lays down your life for their life it's the love that says father forgive them for they know not what they do as jesus was hanging on the cross of calvary you don't have that love by working that up on your own You have that sacrificial agape love that comes from God and God alone. And men, that means you lay down your life for your wife. Women, that means you lay down your life for your husband. You have storge, family love, phileo, friendship love, agape, God sacrificial, your needs above my needs, love. And finally, the fourth Greek word for love is the word eros. It's where we get our word erotic from. It's physical, sensual, sexual, romantic love. Now, the interesting thing, that word eros is never found in the New Testament. However, the Hebrew equivalent is often the word used in the Old Testament in the Song of Solomon. So we don't find it in the New Testament, but it's the Hebrew equivalent is found in the song of Solomon. Storge, phileo, agape, eros. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to be crude this morning, but I want you to hear me because I'll help your marriage. 
All right, you with me? Everybody looking at me? I want you every word I'm saying. If you're online, don't, don't, don't go to the refrigerator right now. Listen to me. All right? Men want to jump straight to here most of the time in marriage. Listen, if you're a teenage girl, hear me. You'll have some teenage boy talk, try to talk you into this when none of this has happened. And can I tell you, a teenage boy, let me tell you what a teenage boy do. He'll promise you all this, but really all he wants is that. And if you give him that, you'll get none of this outside of a God-designed marriage relationship. Can I hear amen right there? But let's talk about, let's talk about married people for a second. Men, you want me to tell you how to get down to this? You climb the ladder of this. You want to get down to this? You climb the ladder of this. You want your wife, your husband to be in love with you physically? They will. If you'll love their family, be their best friend and lay down your life for them. If you'll love your family, be friends, best friends with one another, sacrifice for one another, you'll have romantic love for a lifetime. Romantic love for a lifetime. Can I tell you, when you find one of those four lacking, it's time for a course correction. See, you can miss one of those and not miss it much, but eventually is going to provide a crack in the foundation of your marriage. And often it's too late because it's affected and infected everything else. Close your Bible. Stand with me and I'm finished. I read this story. I'm, I'm going to just show you a graphic in a minute, but let me, let me tell you a story. Online activity has been a real problem for marriages. We know that. Since the invention of the internet, social media, people have used online tools like chat rooms, social media, nefarious websites to find someone to cheat with. So stories told about a 2007 Bosnian couple that started cheating together online. Started cheating he started an affair online. She started an affair online. It started out as flirtatious and then progressively advanced over time until the talk was specific and the intention was real. So as they both grew apart and they grew closer to the person they were cheating with online, both he and the person he was cheating with, and both she and the person she was cheating with, decided to take it to the next level of wrong, and they arranged a secret meet in person. They happened to arrange the meet on the same night. So on the same night, he snuck out of the home, and she snuck out of the home, and they went to hook up with the person they were cheating with. And when they got there, they discovered that they'd both used alias names and they had been cheating on each other with each other. 
You remember the old song, Escape, back in the 70s and 80s? They've been cheating on each other with each other. And I read that story and I thought, it's a great idea. Why don't you and your husband, you and your wife, just start cheating on each other with each other? It's amazing what you find in common when you do that. It's amazing what you're willing to overlook when you do that. Well, instead of going through all that trouble, why don't you just stay in conversation, live in the land of forgiveness, stay in church, stay in love. When you see love begin to slip in any area, seek help, get it fixed, talk about it, deal with it, stay in love. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Our pastors are up front, and if you're here today and do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, hear me this morning. You cannot have that agape love that family and marriage requires unless the Spirit of God is within your heart. Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, our pastors are here. They'd love to pray with you this morning. Just come walk down the aisle, take one of them by the hand at these next step stations to your left, to your right, and say, I'd like to become a Christian. They'll walk you through that process. Maybe you want to join our church. Maybe you want to move your membership here. Listen, however God spoke in your heart about that decision, make settle that today. You say, preacher, we're not sure we ought to join. Well, listen, just join, and then if God wants to move you somewhere else, let him move you. But join, get plugged in. Go forward for God and his glory. Get your family plugged into church. So you're not having to ask every Sunday, are we going to church today? Where are we going to church today? Just handle that today. Let's just join. You've got pastors up here walk you through that process just walk down the aisle and we begin to sing maybe you need to be baptized you've been saved but never baptized after salvation well you want to be baptized today come tell them that they'll walk you through it now heads are bowed eyes are closed listen if you're watching online Jeremy's got a good word for you I'm going to let you go to him right now thank you Pastor Joel uh, for that great message and really this entire series on marriage has been so good and uh, for some of us it's a reminder of who we're supposed to be sometimes it's a refresher and and for some it may be just a time where you're saying man I have really got to make some changes in our marriage I took some notes um, during Pastor Joel's sermon today and his points stay in conversation stay in forgiveness stay in church and stay in love. And Pastor Joel has said this before. When it comes to loving your spouse, sometimes your emotions, all, actually all the time, your emotions follow your actions. And love isn't always this warm and fuzzy feeling that you wake up with in the morning. Sometimes it is a decision to love. And it's intentional activities to show your love for your spouse. And when you do that, you can't help, when you treat someone special, you can't help be in love with them. And so um, those are such important things for us to remember as husbands and wives. And here's the truth. No matter where you are 
whether you're single, whether you're newly married, whether you've been married for 70 years, you cannot have a successful marriage without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And you can't have the power of the Holy Spirit without having a relationship with Jesus that begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. You've broken God's law. You've offended God with your sin. Your sin has separated you from God and there's nothing you can do to fix it. You've got to believe and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that He died, He was buried, He rose again on the third day. That's the gospel message. You've got to believe that. And the blood that He shed pays for all of your sins. And third, you've got to confess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. In fact, here's what you're saying. God, I'm taking my hands off the reins of my life and I'm giving the reins to you. You're in charge. I trust you with my life and my future. And if God has spoken to your heart and you need to give your heart and life to Christ this morning, get down on your knees right there in front of your chair, in front of your couch, or wherever you may be, beside your bed, and tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. Understand that my sin separates me from you. God, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe in the risen work of the cross for salvation. And Lord, right now, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sins, be my Savior. God, I'm giving you the reins to my life. Use me as you will, in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, I wanna tell you, welcome to the family. We, we want to walk this faith journey with you. We want to help you take next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. And so if you would um, text just your name to the number 423-800-1871. That's 423-800-1871. That's my cell phone. And uh, I want to connect with you and help you take your next steps with Jesus. Man, it's been awesome to be in God's house this morning. I look forward to our time together each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.